welcome to another episode of Reboot Ed, the podcast where we talk about big ideas and issues in education and hardly ever come up with any answers. I'm your co-host, Andrew Schwab, and as usual, I am joined by... Mike Volmerk. What's up, Mike? Hey, happy Sunday. Yeah, it's been, it's, a, it's been a few weeks. It has. Um, sort of like deja vu all over again. We're still struggling with the same stuff, so... In true reboot ed form, we've come up with no answers. Um, but today may be a, a glimmer of hope. Um, today we've got Dr. John Puglisi with us, um, superintendent at Rio School District in Oxnard, California, uh, the brainchild behind the award-winning Smashing Veggies band, uh, recently recognized by the Ventura County Office, or, or the Ventura County uh, Board of Supervisors, for its work with kids in schools and teaching about healthy eating and healthy life choices through music. John, thanks for joining us. How are you? Um, I'm great as usual, and uh, and you you should remind the the audience there that you are an important member of the, the River <laughs> Songs Band. Um, you get your uh, you get your guitar playing in there, and occasionally we get you to sing along, unmiked, if nothing else. Un- unmiked, yeah. Uh, that unmiked part is really important because yes. the, uh, the the tones don't match the rest of the band. <laughs> I, th- I think I was born to be more of a punk rocker than uh, <laughs> the stuff that we play. But <laughs> um, So... Uh, First off, thanks for taking the time to join us. Um, it, we've we've had you on before, and the conversations are always stimulating. Um, your vision and your sense of innovation, I think, are are inspiring to a lot of people. Um, and right now, um, in the midst of a pandemic, uh, the work that you've been doing with your teachers and the work that you've been doing to try to get some semblance of return to a version of normal, um, I think is really fascinating. Um, and what you guys are doing, um, I've been excited to have you come on and share that so that your ideas can hopefully be a inspiration or a, a window of glimmer, uh, hopeful glimmer for other districts and other teachers. Thanks, Mike. I remember. Um, I think I was on on your your both uh, um, podcast a while back. Then I think it it went down for a little while, and now I'm back again. So Andrew came up with this harebrained idea of getting a doctorate, uh, and that, oh, that was you on- took a hiatus from reboot just to get a doctorate. Well, well, I yeah. took a hiatus from reboot Ed for uh, I guess a lot of reasons, but that was a big one, and I'm still in process. So. But we're back, right. which is good, and happy to have you, and looking forward to the conversation today. Well, I'm, I'm always interested in reading chapters one, two, three, four, or five, and giving my content, my uh, comment or comment. <laughs> so feel free to send your PDFs or whatever else you would like my way. I I also do that for a, a profession as well. I I appreciate that. I'll, I will definitely have to talk to you at some point when I get that far. Right. So um, let's uh, let, let's start this conversation 
um, we're in the midst of just unprecedented times. Um, huge amounts of confusion, huge amounts of frustration um, from an educational standpoint. Last March, when the pandemic really became a significant issue and schools had to shut down and switch to distance learning. Um, we spent a few months really kind of stumbling along trying to figure out what to do. What was what was the conversation like um, with you and your team and and how did Rio approach dealing with the students and teachers and adapting to this kind of remote learning environment? Yeah. Um, well, in some ways, it's easy to go back to March. In some ways, um, it seems like a really long time ago because time is definitely in the mix now, uh, warped, distorted, or different and being reconstructed. And, um, you know, full disclosure, Mike, uh, Dr. Mike there used to be uh, an integral part of director of technology of the Rio School District. And I would say one of my uh, one of my uh, most fun and uh, aligned uh, thinking partner when it comes to organization and, and pedagogy and learning and teaching and all of that. So um, this is this uh, is our our ninth school year and last uh, where I've been part of Rio and so part in in that would have been the end of year eight and so you know. Um, after working and kind of developing organizational habits and interests and aims, the goal quickly really just um, became to get back on that that same track or track set of tracks that we were on. And we try to use some simple words that have maybe some complicated and sometimes theoretical frames behind them. But uh, they the three three things that come to mind uh, what we did back then same thing that we're doing now we're just doing it much more successfully now and that was a connect connect was the first word and uh and then engage uh to learn and then third uh improve the learning and uh, we we remain on those paths we're, we've just we're just connecting way better and when we uh, meant connect then it meant obviously the technologically connect because we you know we're forced to move to um um, home learning, you know, either through the internet or through through materials, through pickup or mail or whatever. Um, but we meant a lot more than than connect. We meant yes, connect technologically, and that had its struggles, even for a district like ours. That Mike, again, was a, an important part of years ago, of becoming one where every student had access to a device or multiple devices, and where we tried to work on uh, internet connections for students. So. Uh, connect also emotionally, connect back to the classroom culture that they had established, connect with their teacher, uh, connect with their learning ideas. So that was the first mission, which was a lot about connecting actually through technology or through phone. Um, and uh, that that was its challenge, um, much more so for some kids than others. So the big E word that's a hot topic now, equity really came up. Um, that's where we went all in on on getting kids connected and then engaging to learn was once kids were were connected one way or the other um you know that the, the the way we call engaging to learn is number one that there's something that there is engaging that, that interests them that that draws them to actually 
perform some task, produce something, do something so that we can look at it and and provide feedback on it. And then the third thing, the most important um, was improving that learning and everything that everything that went into that, the new learning, the innovation, the iteration. Um, and we kind of stuck with those things organizationally in our district. We we again just drew from things that we've been trying to work on for for the last eight years. Um, collaboration, uh, flexibility, and innovation. And that does more an internal speak, um, although probably very relevant for parents and kids as well. But uh, that was more of an internal speak to each other that we really need to work together now, not just cooperate, but really work together, co-labor to, to connect, engage, to learn, improve the learning. And we're going to have to be very flexible, which is not something that, that uh, many of our organizations um, find easy um i think yeah it, it it's i think it should be noted that there were relatively few districts um and we've had a, a couple folks on the podcast over the past several months where the idea was along those lines to make sure first of all that you could get everybody together um so many districts just thought that they were going to do regular school but do it on tv just have the kids log in and the teacher would do exactly the same thing that they did when students were sitting live in a classroom um and rio's approach um like a number of districts but not like a significant number of districts realized that that's not the best way to go so this idea of connecting and looking after the emotional state of students and mm -hmm. taking a look at at how they were dealing with this huge shift in their daily lives um yeah, that and their parents and and their whole their whole family structure and that connected and I, and I think actually that that is that it that has been probably before i came you know uh, that is the strength of rio that that relational that community and that connecting and so and and the concern for socio-emotional well-being is kind of also on the rise generally which is just giving us more permission to do that type of work so that that was there um the socio-emotional well-being of the teaching staff um was is was equally important because they're they're taking on all of that work i would say though that that March to June time, you know, we 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 iterated through those three functions, um, and then internally through our our three functions or domains of collaboration, innovation, and and flexibility, and and we did pretty well. But um, what was remarkable is when we returned, and uh, what we what was remarkable is yeah, of course we worked all summer. We had summer programs, and we we continue to do summer programs. The the show went on we, we have a lot of summer programs summer science academy summer art academy summer music academy right um, uh so we we kept on going just so that we could learn and get ready but also just the parents when we returned the parents and the kids showed up with amazing um amazing persistence and learning and kids getting online and we have many many students who 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 uh have their challenges in that area where we had to go through hot spots and hot spots that didn't work and and fixing computers and some some homes not um 
you know, not even working in the hotspot areas and, and a million other things that went through it, language barriers, technology barriers. But we were amazed that in the first four four days, we really had, had um, you know, the high 90% of kids connected. Um, and my first connected was online live staring at you at nine o'clock, or I guess in some middle school classes, not staring at you, but online. And that was a big delta between um, uh, the March, June period and, and this period. And I, I'm gonna imagine that many, most school districts and most families probably experienced something like that. That's why now now we're in that phase. Of course, we still have to maintain that. There's a few kids that are not connected through those same purposes, but now it's about the learning and how is that learning? And and is it, is it engaging? Is it interesting? Is it too much? Is it too little? Is it too digital? Is it not analog uh, basic materials enough? And, and are kids staying um, connected? Um, so that's where we find ourselves now um, amidst the turmoil of also returning back to school. Um, November 30th is our date for bringing kids back in, in a blended model, those that want to come back. And so definitely an interesting time. I hear a lot of tell, I hear a lot of people talking about silver linings. I'm always reluctant to, to use that word. It's almost kind of morbid in our context. Um, however, there have been amazing um incidences of of kid parent and teacher um uh, uh, innovations and flexibilities and problem solving that have actually turned in the general pedagogical um directions that we've always wanted to work on and i know mike when when we talk about things every once in a while that that's usually where uh, uh mike and and our discussions go in in the process Brian. that transform transform class student teacher learning to things that are that are just better for for kids than whatever a previous condition or state was so um how's that answer that first question i can't even remember yeah no i you know um i think there's a couple boxes in terms of what what we're facing right now the first one is um just physical and logistical stuff. And I wanted to ask uh, about Rio's preparations in, in that respect. But this whole pedagogical idea about this is a chance to kind of strip back some of the tradition and some of the sort of rote practices that that we engage in on a day-to-day -day basis. Since we don't have kids in the same fashion that we used to, we can get a little more innovative in terms of what we do pedagogically. But let's talk first about the physical stuff. Um, how is it that you came to decide that November 30th was gonna be the date that you come back? Well, that's that's a big question. That's, that's a lot of work from since March, um, navigating guidances from the CDC, navigating interactions with other superintendents in our county, navigating discussions with Dr. Levin, the county health care, uh, public health official, and a lot of work with our, our board of trustees, and it's iterated, and then a tremendous amount of work with a lot of dialogue. I mean, a lot of dialogue and meetings with our, our, our teachers associations and, 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 uh, 
less so, but but also with our um, classified staff. Um, and we're, well, not we're actually- to throw, Not to throw any particular group under the bus, but I have to imagine what I've, what I've seen in conversations in districts all over the place, and Andrew and I have talked about this quite a bit, there are all these opposing pressures. Um, and in general, it seems as though parents want the kids back in school immediately, full-time yeah. back in class. They want it to be like it used to be. The board tends to kind of lean in that direction in most districts that I've, that I've kind of paid attention to. Mm -hmm. um, teachers are a little more concerned about the safety element right in the midst of a pandemic with numbers. Well, nationwide numbers are going up. California right now is in a little lull. Uh, we tend to be kind of flat. Um, epidemiologists say that that could just be kind of the calm before the storm. Places like Montana and Wisconsin and uh, Ohio, other places are seeing, you know, the numbers really go up again. Mm -hmm. um, is that from your chair, you're the guy that has to kind of deal with all those opposing pressures. Is that sort of an accurate description of kind of where folks are coming from? Yeah, in, you know? some parts, but let me comment on that, that those point of view. So another thing that we always, we always do, but we did way more, we're doing way more interactions, parent meetings, surveys, thought exchanges, uh, communication so that we really are a, taking the pulse, trying to interact, trying to expand, trying to get as many voices, um, meetings in English, another in Spanish, even meetings in, in uh, Mystic languages exactly. and, yeah. and um, trying to get that feedback and, and uh, take the, the goodwill that we have out there and, uh, uh, and, and continue to let people know where we're at um, without giving them a whole bunch of information that says we can't really tell you much. Um, and so essentially the model that we currently are moving towards on November 30th is really the model that we, we started working on very early, which was a really safe model, uh, as safe as you possibly could think. think. And that is, um, you know, bring kids back in small groups for uh, a group in the morning, group in the afternoon for two days a week, and then the rest that they do distance learning. So uh, beginning very, um, uh, in, in a very safe model where distance, duration, masking, um, uh, and outside learning, these are the four elements that we've, we've been working on. And we could spend this podcast and another podcast talking about all the work on that. But, um, you know, looking at the air systems in school, in, in all of our buildings, looking at how we're going to disinfect. So you got foggers, you got sprayers. Um, we've, we have moved far and fast in, in processes that the state and other things have not, have not made really expeditious. Um, so uh, supply lines are slow right now. You still have to have approvals. You still have to go through bid processes to a great degree. And we think that that's all right. You know, also, uh, really working with the board who also ultimately makes decisions over larger amounts of money um, to keep them in the loop, to inform them, to answer their questions. But we've gone with uh, to make every school, we have nine schools with hands-free uh, things in classrooms and bathrooms. Um, we're, we were revamped all of our air systems. And actually this Wednesday, 
the board has a, a, a um, decision to make. We're, we're really interested. We have one school that already has em employed ionizers um, in the whole school, and we'd like to do that in all of the eight, which is a way to zap germs and bugs and viruses um, in the airflow. So on that management side, we've been really working long and hard. We had a short period in the summer where we had a small group that was coming on campus, which was great um, until until uh, things changed and decisions changed from the state and from the county and that shut down. So we got we had the opportunity this summer to go through, see how screening was, contacts, communication, masks, um, adult behavior, child behavior. We were working on all of that. Um, and I think we're in pretty good situation to do that, particularly as we come back and not all of the kids. Um, if you look at the data that comes from the surveys that we got, which we didn't get from every person, you know, we, we tried hard. Um, it, it fell more into the categories that uh, Dr. Ulsterholm, if you look him up, he's an interesting yeah. person talking about him. I think we might have talked about it. Really kind of felt in, in the one-third, one-third, one-third category. One-third folks really want to send their kids back because their life really, their life or their smaller, smaller in Rio that maybe their ideology, but very few on long ideology. They just, they just work in and they really need to have their kids come back to school and they want them to come back to school. And then another third that really until things are much safer, they're going to choose to distance learning. And then another third that really wants to see what we're doing, wants to know what we think, and we'll make that decision in between. Right now, we we are pushing folks to, you know, uh, uh, kind of uh, decide one way or the other about November 30th. And, you know, even, uh, you know, to have a deadline, which we're, we're not normally uh, uh, want to be so institutional like that. We want to try to be flexible. Um, and uh, we're hoping that that comes out with you know so that we can get concretely and either design or redesign the learning and the models that we have and communicate folks uh, hopefully we don't have to change too many classes or kids and teachers and and figure out a myriad of staffing and other things that we need to do the buildings and and the safety and the buses and all of that i think we've I think we're in good shape. We worked on that hard. Our principals put so much work into that. Our maintenance staff, um, you know, we're we're going to follow the guidelines and exceed the guidelines. Um, and when it comes time to when we have the actual data, which we're coming close to right now with 50 percent turned in, it's about mid 40s that are saying that they want to stay home. Hmm. Uh, really? And, uh, so we'll see. But but those are just numbers because until you start doing things as people start being experienced, I know there were other districts who who got all of that done, and you know I wish I had in a sentence that they got all that done early, so they're folks who chose distance now they're in distance, and um, and they'll just have to stick with that for the whole year. But um, we're really kind of iterating and trying to bring everybody all the i guess you call them stakeholders through give, giving people as much notice but also trying to meet as many of their needs as possible yeah. um and one thing that you you talked about 
stimulated the discussion we were having. We, we, we've got some great principals and great leadership people. And we're obviously having more meetings than we normally would. And I remember we had a discussion a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, about so much of the work up until now has been about management. And uh, and uh, not that you easily separate management from leadership, but, you know, we use it kind of as a rhetorical tool yeah. to think about certain things. And when I mean leadership, I mean instructional leadership, uh, because that's that's the thing that that uh, I have the greatest concern about right now. We're we're going to go safety first our duty to educate is secondary to our duty to protect usually duty to protect is pretty easy now it's more challenging but um that's where our minds are are now while we still have to do all of the managing of stuff and people and and processes and uh, i'm i'm pretty impressed with the the way uh people are are coming together on that although obviously stress and workloads and time time warpage are are certainly weighing on people yeah um a couple questions along those lines at november 30th is the date to sort of call the question yeah uh, kid, kids can come back kids can stay home yeah um have you discussed with your leadership team mechanisms for the following couple weeks if people change their mind um parent a decides to send their yeah. child to school and then says i'm just not comfortable with this i want yeah. him to stay home or yeah. vice versa i wanted my my son or daughter to stay home but you know what now that i see what's going on i think i'm okay with them going to school and they yeah. can be a little more socialized with um their classmates and stuff you are know, there mechanisms in place to sort of adapt to the changing numbers and cohorts or is it this, a one this may sound like a wild answer but we're building those mechanisms and uh you know our goal is to meet everybody's needs and if people are are collaborative and flexible we can try to do that and that sounds so non-institutional but i'll give you an example um, for better or for worse, we came out with a model that we, we looked at everybody else's model for this distance time that was an AM PM model. And uh, the idea there was that smaller class size in this environment is going to be better because smaller class size is just generally in better all of the time. And and uh, our our teacher association, you know, immediately after a couple of weeks of doing that. And by the way, we did a smart start, Dr. Volmer. Oh, great. Fantastic. Dr. Fulmer and I were talking about a smart start pre-COVID-19. And one thing that was universally accepted by uh, by and expressed by many teachers and, and by most parents actually was whatever whatever we actually manifest with smart start, which was let's build a classroom culture and get everybody connected and try to do our best and try to do some fun and engaging things before before we really start ramping up cognitive load and so there was a bunch of designs in there but um the what the goal is this friday we get all as much of that um as we can you know parents one way or the other if you didn't if you didn't say we're going to assume then that you're coming we're going to figure out how to keep continuity in our classes and that has a lot of components to it and then in our in our parent meeting which we have like over 500 people who come to these webinars that we do and we keep the Q&A open. We just did one last week. And and parents had those questions. 
and we're, we're going to say, hey, you know, decide now if you decided before and it was different, you change your we'll, we'll take the most recent one um, that you pick and then we're going to try to assemble it um, and um, and we'll try to meet parents needs on that if you're going to change your mind or not um, as best that we can. Now, you know, that sends shivers down the spines of all the people kind of under the superintendent who've got to build systems like that and have to negotiate those systems with teachers and the teachers association. But I'll give you an example. The teachers wanted to make a, a change. Uh, they, they, they they did not want to do the AMPM anymore. They felt that wasn't good. So we literally, you know, we talked with our board. We, we um, uh, looked that the only, by going back to an AM during this period before November 30th, it would only really impact the PM folks in terms of their logistics. And we were getting a lot of parents that were saying that the, they'd prefer the AM. And uh, because the teachers were, were really um, wanting that and expressing that and had had rationales for that, we just we just did that and we made some other kind of agreements in association, even though we're going to go back to an AMPM model. And for the most part, I mean, everybody was really uh, positive about that. Um, in the end, in the end, the model that is most traditional and conventional Although, although I guess Dr. Volman and I always want to work to provide other types of opportunities, but in this case, the model that is most traditional and conventional for many years is the notion of classroom with a teacher and the parents associated with those students and with that teacher. And that's an elementary model. And then in the middle school, uh, you know, five or six teachers and the same thing in the high school, and uh, unfortunately, the parents less involved and the kid navigates that. Those are the models. And in the elementary school, um, you know, the teachers, uh, many, many teachers, they navigate those relationships, those associations um, in ways that really uh, uh, work well. And so we, that's what we've seen is that those folks who have been able to do that, to, to do that connecting, engaging, to learn um, while while change and other things and the whole context is very difficult for families this community and our families have just stepped up remarkably remarkably well um, the challenges for meeting the guidelines and keeping cohorts together for middle and high schools with with a blended model or with a part-time model are are just much more complicated but i think right. we're going to just construct that um, in a way that uh, the voices can agree on as early as possible. Our goal is November 15th for that, communicate that out for two weeks, and then we do the work and, and see how it goes. Um, uh, the goal really is to, to, of course, be a system and an institution, but you know, Mike, how small a world Rio is, even though there's 5,000 kids in nine schools, right? You know, it's Right. It's very doable. It's very knowable. It's very knowable to know families and kids and all of the players. And um, that institutional model is really problematic at, at this time. And something you said earlier that I that I hope that I get a chance to talk about, and, and if we're going to lead on any anything in this podcast, is is that that uh, what we're doing? Of course, we're going to have to manage all of these things and and do all of those things, but like. I'm I'm very interested and now really focused on 
on the learning. And one of the implications of managing the um, from the past, as you alluded to, or in the present or potentially in, in some sort of innovation things that are required is that um, there are definitely folks who who see this as an opportunity to go back to other models, other conventional models that uh, you and I would agree don't didn't work very well in the first place then. Right. And this has kind of peeled the curtain back um, in, a, in, and it has in a real sense. But but. For other people, let's just say, for instance, there's technology and then there's technology, right? Right. And we've always said that. And we we know that the technology, why we went one to one, which we called one to the world, right? Others did too. Um, we had our intents and our practices there. We were not going one to one so that every kid could have individualized computer 24-7 without a teacher, without without a path of learning and um, and just get rote technological work, although even that might be fine in some context. But as a whole, we've always considered human computer, human dynamics. And, and I remember when uh, you said we made you an offer that you couldn't refuse and you retired. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and, and I said... Uh, you developed a retirement incentive program to run me out of the district. Yes, yes, and, but probably but, taking a little too much personal credit for that. And and it was lo- it was our loss. But I know that when Yarko Malari came in and took your spot, a, a a colleague of mine and yours, and he he came all the way from Finland to do that, which was amazing. Yeah, um, I remember him and I and you having the discussions where he was a little concerned that we were a one to one district because he didn't even though he's an amazing technology person, he was like a little reluctant or reticent to see like, oh, are they on computers all of the time? It's not what yeah. he wanted, particularly with little kids. And he right. was here for like a week. And then he was like, oh, no, I'm not worried about it anymore. Right. And I remember talking with Yarko about that very issue and him. Uh, he. And I, in conversations with a couple of colleagues um, back in Finland, um, who really felt like it was dangerous to have a device for every student because it would sort of make everybody gravitate to screen time. That was sort of the Finnish assumption. Yeah. Um, and Yarko shared with Anna and some of the other teachers that um, that he and I had worked with on projects, um, and they were astounded that even though every kid had a device, they weren't spending all of their time oh. on those devices. It was yeah. just a tool that was used when it was appropriate. And um, when they were. What about, no. what about now? Have teachers continued that? Or um, is, is by virtue of needing to Zoom or use Google Meet or something, our kids well, I think that's a big more? I think that's a big question. I, 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 don't, I don't know the answer to that. I, 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 I'm going in and teaching with kids. Um, maybe we'll spend a little time of this podcast. Uh, I'll talk with you about the river literacy project. You know, I, I always like to teach kids and be, be in classrooms and collaborate so I could feel how, how that is and, and also just enjoy it and experience it. I, I think there, there's just great variance. I think I've seen in some other districts that they, have turned to some more automate, automated and kind of didactic yeah. models. And that's that's nothing to be not understood or, you know, it, it, it's 
it's certainly going to have a place. But that that was part of my big concern because um, that that I don't think works very well for a majority of students. Um, never did, but it has its place. And uh, you remember when you were here and we worked with uh, a couple different groups to come in and what they would call blended learning then where. You know, some students are doing some individual computer kind of work. Some students are using uh, technology and other things, working in groups, and they're making it a little whole class and blending all of those things together. That was the blended language before. And yeah, I, ha I have concerns about this. I think I think teachers who who um, are are working their way through answering that question. Um, and some some have gone far down the road and are putting those the synchronous time and the asynchronous time in its right place. We try to start out just by asking some really simple questions. What do you want kids to do when they are live with you on the computer? And what do you want them to do when they're not? And then and then we're asking the same questions. Now, if they don't come to school five days a week for six hours, what do you want them to do? And the reason that you ask those questions are really should be focused on learning. Um, they could be focused on socio-emotional well-being and all of that. But I, I'm, I'm of the mind that that needs to be part of, of your work all of the time. Just how are you going to facilitate them being connected, in, engaged in the learning, and improving their learning over time in whatever milieu, you know, you're, you're working with them. So, right. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. I see some amazing stuff um, going on. Um, I see some folks whose technological um, transformation and, and learning has been incredibly, incredibly expedited um, and, and is also stressing them out. Um, I see other folks who already had amazing technological things, uh, skills and uh, things that are spending a tremendous amount of time and doing amazing stuff, but that's also stressing them out. And I think we're, we're, we're just going to be in a process for this year and who knows beyond maybe of, of figuring those things out. I'm, I'm hoping that, that we can as leaders guide all of those processes, um, not too far away from the actual learning, but also give everybody involved, the teacher, the kid, the parent, um, you know, the gift of time, um, the gift of patience, and the gift of what conventional programs and conventional schooling often doesn't give, um, uh, you know, that the patience to understand that kids aren't necessarily born into the first grade, the second grade, the third grade, the fourth grade. Uh, they're not necessarily born or comfortable in a particular subject area that that is boxed and siloed so navigating all of those kind of confluences in a very difficult time um, one of the things that we're we're also trying to do is like find out what our priorities are for the learning and what are what are kids priorities and what are what are parents priorities and uh, so that's that's another work project that we've we've just just begun on um another thing i would say too is that by engaging that's why i think this podcast and other things are really good we're we're always doing things where we're engaging with other school districts in our county in our state in our country in our world that's what our new uh, river literacy project is about 
and being connected and communi- communicating outside of our little parochial places, I think it's very helpful um, to get some simpatico with others who are going through other things, but also just to kind of feel and sense that people are in different different uh, places, you know, in the calculus of making all of those adjustments. Well, yeah. uh, let's talk about that real quick. The, the River Literacy Project is the latest sort of evolution of something that, um, you know, you and I worked on a lot, and that yeah. is trying to connect teachers in Rio with teachers in other locales um, yeah. worldwide. I mean, we worked with Greece, we worked with Africa, we worked with yeah. Finland a, a lot. Yeah. Uh, we worked with we work with Mr. Schwab's um, district. Yes, um, that is correct. And um, or districts. The idea being connecting kids to work collaboratively, connecting yep. teachers yes. to work collaboratively, trying to push this um, this pedagogical idea of um, engaging kids in what they're passionate about, but infusing that with the literacies that we all know they need to be. Yep. very proficient at yep. but now there's the river literacy project and and the idea is to use the idea of rivers yes uh as the context so t- talk talk in a little bit of detail about i will what you will doing. and i will tell you one thing you know some of us we just we just plow and move ahead and try to enjoy and work and stay busy in this work a lot of educators are like that or people in other fields and it takes us I don't know whether, you know, if it's a gender thing or whatever, but it might take us a while to process, you know, like how you feel about it because you just keep on moving and moving. And um, one thing, it like took me months, like between March and I don't know, it hit in May. It's like, oh, you know, I, I kind of miss being around actual kids doing stuff actually with them. <laughs> and yeah. it's not the same right. online. Now, I, I like doing the stuff online, too. And uh, And, you know, what really hit me, one thing that really hit me was. Um, oh, Dr. Volmert and I um, were starting a program, which was the same program we've been working of taking kids to the river three times a year, the river at its mouth, which is the Pacific Ocean and our river is the Santa Clara River, and setting up stations and having them learn, learn. And um, I don't think you came to the, the most recent one because uh, you were out and about somewhere in the country, but uh, we expanded it from one kindergarten teacher at Rio Plaza to all of the kindergartens, and it was awesome. Yeah, and it was it was it was a seed of and a moment of everything that you want in school, in class, in community, in teaching, and in learning. And it, and uh, Miss Lauer just was doing a great job with extending and connecting that. And we had a resident artist there. So anyway. Boy, we missed that. And I hope we yeah. can do that again because it's probably one of the safest things that you can do, which is be outside. Um, but the River Literacy Project is very similar to other inquiry projects that we've been working on and really has two different components at its original foundation. And one is um, having, having folks in any school, anywhere on the planet, any grade level who uh, might be doing something uh in their in their already their work or new work uh, where they're learning about their local river or for that matter other rivers and that they share and they curate some of that with other other classes and then eventually maybe phase two they actually do some work together which uh, mike and i and yarko and others have been part of many times as you're speaking 
as you were speaking with. And then the second part is our Zoom shows. And uh, those are every two weeks we bring in uh, experts and interesting people from all across the country and the world too. And we do a one hour interview and the interview is based around three kind of ethnographic questions. The first one is, um, you know, what, what should we know about the river? And when we mean the river, it's the river that's that's nearest to them, but proximal to where they live. Yeah. Yeah. Or it could be the river that's in their heart too. So that's kind of expanding because we're always expanding our ideas of what we're doing. We've had some amazing people. You can check it out at uh, river literacy project on my Google search. We're at the top of it now. And uh, then we, we record and we shoot those live zoom zoom and live, and then we put them up. And then we also put the slideshows up and we're even starting to make little glossaries from that so check that out anybody could come and and when people come and do q and a's we'll bring you inside as a panelist so that's part of that notion um just like just like we bring you dr volmer when we bring you to the river we bring your marine marine biology expertise to the river or or uh, if somehow guitar making got in there we bring in your guitar making expertise so so people who are non-teachers in that sense, um, just experts, interested parties. We've had some amazing people. That's the second part. We added a third part, which is a weekly uh, art river art class. That's every Wednesday at two o'clock. Um, our first session had over 200 kids in it. That was really fun. And uh, that's also the way we're we're beginning to engage with with that same art design, which is much more than an art class. Um, so, uh, just a, a yeah. real quick interruption. Can other teachers in yes. other districts per participate in that? Yes, they can. Okay, so folks, if you want to do something really cool with your kids, low lift, um, look up the River the Literacy art Project yep. and, and the Wednesday art sessions. Wednesday art session, but the whole thing is really easy. They could watch the Zoom shows. Also, just uh, and it answers your questions. There's also some really other cool kind of. Um, components we've we have interested parties uh, from finland from brazil from ohio from georgia so it's starting to pick up steam here but the basic idea is is definitely related to this covid 19 although it'd be something that we would be doing anyway but hey in this time when we're having to manage all these safety things and all of that um how do you connect who should we connect with why should we connect how do we engage to learn and how do we improve the learning over time? And when, uh, you know, Mike and I kind of share the same thing, we just think of of all, all of ourselves as learners and right. uh, teachers, kids, parents, and all of the above. And that's, that's something that I hope um, the message gets out there um, to everybody involved that, um, that uh, you know, the stuff that goes on in public schools with the amazing energy of the people who go into the work of teachers and educators, um, and the amazing energy that parents are putting in now compared to how, uh, you know, what they were, what they, what they managed before, all of that is really necessary for these kids because they're not getting, um, what they got before in many ways, but, um, they are getting other and interesting and new things, some things that are transformative for some, for some of them and from some of their teachers into things that could could sustain and potentially be better than before they're what kids are missing now they tell me all the time i talk with them i have a superintendent's um uh, round table and i we just go on zoom and we do art lessons then too so that they could be doing something while we're talking with them they miss their friends 
They miss playing. Yeah. They miss sports. They miss doing things together. But they're so they're so upbeat and um, under these conditions, learning that's not engaging, learning that is um, not at not at their level, whatever that means. Learning that is um, mostly conformity and compliance. It's going to bomb. And uh, the results are not going to be good. Now, do we have to do some of those things? I guess I guess we do. But I mean, that's what that's the real work that uh, Mike Bomert and I and, and probably Andrew have been doing a long time. It's like, how do we how do we improve uh, uh, learning for everybody? And I, I'm so glad to hear rhetorically people talking about equity. Um, but I will tell you this, that the metaphor or, that I've been using for COVID-19 has it, may, it might be a little graphic, but I just pick something and then I keep on repeating it over and over again. I, I feel like that uh, all of our educational institutions and everybody got kind of chopped in the knees by a samurai sword. But it didn't mm. like didn't chop all their legs out. Right? It didn't even go in there too much, but it just it took them down to their knees. And uh, now we're we're you know, you're in that period of, of hurt and damage and and adjusting and figuring out how bad I'm hurt. And, and that was all the May and June. And then now you, you know, you still got chopped, but it didn't, it didn't, you know, you can walk and you can stand and you can do a whole bunch of different things. Um, some people got completely chopped and disconnected. I mean, and, and then now that hot spots and, and phone calls from teachers and home visits, home visits are happening now with greater frequency by teachers and by, by principals and, counselors and parent liaisons more than ever before and there are profound things that are getting explained to me about these home visits that there's the potential for for our community for our for our employees to understand and have relationships and and really uh, have empathy and understandings that they didn't have before so i see all of those things as really good however those kids got chopped in the knees because they love what they were getting. They come with great attendance rate, and uh, now they don't get to come. They come on Mondays and pick up five, five days worth of meals and figure out how to get that home. and uh, And they go online as best they can, and they do that work. Um, and and they miss their, they miss all of the physical and social components if they're lucky enough to have. A teacher that just happens to have all of those things all put together in a package then uh, um, then they're or if they're lucky enough to have parents we have so many parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and brothers and sisters who are so much more engaged because they have the time that was another uh, bright light that the kids tell me well we are getting to spend a lot more time with the family hmm. and and I, I think that's great. And I, I don't I think of that as the primary source for learning. Um, so there's a lot of potentials, but nonetheless, there was still a, um, a, a, a sword chop. And I have I have been really impressed by the parents and the kids response. And I'm I'm really trying to support our teachers response. And um, and. I'm not sure about where all of our institutional, um, what our responses are going to be with our institutions and our government. And 
Um, and so far this year in California, the funding has been okay. Great concern for the future for funding. Um, but I hope inside all of that wash that we can find some learning that really compels kids and gets them through so that so that those who need to develop the basic literacies that they that they need just to navigate, you know, in the economy and 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 stay interested in learning. Well, and so as November 30th approaches and the weeks after that, what's it going to look like at what's it going to look like when um, beginning November 30th students yeah. uh, start to come back? Um, how it, how is that going to look and feel logistically with yeah. with students and teachers? Hopefully it's going to look like this. This is we're working on that and the model is going to look like this that let's just pick let's say you got a 500 kid school most of our schools are probably a little bit larger than that but you have a 500 kid school and um and uh, if all 500 decided that they were were going to send their kids back then to begin with um even though the state says it's okay the dr levin says it's okay we're going to bring um a fourth of those students in the morning on mondays and tuesday and then another fourth of those students a half of a class and a half of a class in the afternoon and then the rest of their three days they'll get distance learning and then another group another fourth and a fourth doing um tuesday when i mean wednesday thursday and then friday will be all distance learning for everybody and that that's the model that we originally shaped and we hope we continue to shape and um so that's how that will look like. And then if everything goes better than that, um, slowly we'll be able to add more time, more days safely um, if things continue to right. go well. So does that, that kind of yeah. give you a so basic frame? On Tuesday, yeah. half, half of the kids are coming to school half of the kids are staying home is the vision that the teachers will need to work simultaneously with both of those groups of kids. Yeah, or, we're, that, um, that's what we're working on. So some, you know, uh, some school districts had that all worked out, um, uh, before, but even those districts had to work it before having to be flexible and reload and redo. So, um, to me, the best way to make that happen is to be able to provide some of that um, live access to the distance learning kids, but less so while you're while you're working with the face to face. So some simultaneous part, um, but that that is all to be determined and constructed. Um, and I think, you know, really should all of that design should really uh, be driven by what you want kids actually to do when they're there physically and what do you want them to do online live and what do you want them to do when they're just at home not live with you so right. that's that's all of a construction process and simple simple to say and a whole lot of work that's got to get done in the next few weeks <laughs> <laughs> yep and it then will. it will the, the kids will be indoors in classrooms and outdoors 
Yes. Um, so, so that's a great thing. You know, we we are are in a process uh, with our Department of State Architects and other and other folks to to as quickly but slowly uh, build as many um, uh, covered outdoor learning spaces as possible. We'll be use, utilizing those. We're using some pop ups, pop up tents. Uh, as well in close proximity to the classrooms and then in our classrooms obviously they'll you know six feet of distance the the perfect situation is you have about six kids in there you know with an adult and we think that that's a real real safe situation having to wear masks being very careful um, washing your hands all of the time um, temperature and other screenings for employees and children um, but that number doesn't have to be six. It can expand depend upon the size of the classroom. Those those are models the district is working on, but also every school is shaping and developing their own model based on the different layouts and different populations that they have. I think the 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 biggest challenge ahead for not only real but for other for other school districts is that middle and high school group where by nature the conventional work is to have them be in one cohort, then change a period, another cohort, change a period, and that doesn't seem to align too well with the state guidelines. So, you know, keeping the same group of kids together. Um, yeah, I just don't see how much And together, that's the best model, right? Because right. then if somebody is either, either uh, test positive or comes into contact, you know, six feet, more than 10 minutes with known positive contact, then you connect with all of those kids and there's a quarantining function and you follow the guidelines and yeah. um, I've always thought I mean you and I used to have conversations all the time about eliminating this idea of subjects and to me at the middle school and high school level this is like a golden opportunity to get a cohort of kids together and forget about the subjects so that the the traditional master schedule is out the door and so these kids just come to school and they work with a group of teachers um, on stuff, yeah. uh, various inquiry projects. Otherwise known as interdisciplinary or multidisciplinary or problem-based or inquiry-based. Yeah. yeah, that's that's what we've been working on for many, many years within the confines of the conventions. And um, that's one thing that's, you know, that's one thing that's really happening is that the core principles and the core functions of our systems and, and the people that work, all of us, um, are really being revealed and made transparent in this time, which that's what crisis will commonly do in my mind. Yeah, it's always an opportunity. Well, dang, we just start scratching the surface of these conversations and we've been at this now for an hour. Um, it just never seemed to get enough time to dig deep with you about some of these conversations. So we got to get you back um, and maybe parse these things into smaller chunks and stay focused on one. Well, you know how that's hard for me there, Dr. Bowen, but I'm up for the six hour podcast. <laughs> well, I, I'd be a fly on the wall for that one. Uh, I think I can edit it so that it would, it was six, one hour <laughs> there you podcast, go. you know? That's that's what Adobe Premiere is all about or whatever Macintosh thing, Apple thing that you use. That's right. Um, yeah, I, six hours of, of talking about this stuff with, with you would, would be over an hour. That would be great. Um, I would people, love how to hear how Mr. Schwab is responding 
in his district with all of those. Uh, and also, I just got to go back and, and find my reboot so I can listen to your other guests, too, because I think that's another really important that we're talking with each other and listening to each other and uh, and working together as a broader school educational community. And that River Literacy Project is the best thing, which is actually doing things together. And they can find that by Googling River Literacy Project? Yep. And you can also find it connected. Um, yes, you will find it. They, it was number one on the top of my Google search. But also you can find a realschools.org and there's a pathway to that, too. Um, also, that you can just email RLP, standing for R- River Literacy Project, at rioschools.org. Check us out. You'll you'll like what you find there. And how can people contact uh, you or stay in touch with what's going on with you? That's uh, Jay Puglisi, J-P-U-G-L-I-S-I, at rioschools.org. And you're on Twitter. I'm on Twitter too at hashtag Rio Soup R I O S U P T I think. Cool. And I, I'll throw in a plug for the Rio Schools website if you go to the reopening docs, which I've been looking at here behind the scenes. Um, a lot of good information there too for districts. Yeah, and that's where we're going to update a lot of what we were saying that we we're we kind of went a little sleepy for a little while while, while things are changing, and then now that reopening is where. We're going to bring our most recent. We had amazing questions at our uh, most most recent parent. We'll try to answer all those questions and bring all of that to the reopening, um, at least a deadline by November 15th, so people can have a little bit of heads up before we move into the next phase of this strange um, but amazing 2020-21 school year. Nice. Well, thank you, Dr. Puglisi, for coming on, and we definitely appreciate uh, having you as a guest. You're welcome whenever you, whenever you can. Um, and with that, Mike, I know you, you guys could both talk forever, but, um, <laughs> I will say, uh, another reboot ad is, uh, no, I can't say that for that podcast. Anyway, uh, that's been another episode. Really appreciate everybody listening and we will see you on the next one. Music, Welcome to the Show by Kevin McLeod.